This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Andrew Giuliani wants to be the next governor of New York. Andrew Giuliani. I shouldn't fumble your last name because that's key here, Andrew. This is the Andrew Giuliani Show on the Red Apple Podcast Network. Here's Andrew Giuliani. Okay, well, welcome back to the Andrew Giuliani Show. And this week, there's somebody who is, somebody I've been following now for a couple of years who I think has done an incredible job. I just had the opportunity to meet her for the first time a few weeks ago when Moms for Liberty had an event in Manhattan that uh, for some was controversial. We'll get to that in a little bit. But first, let me introduce my guest, Tiffany Justice, the co-founder of Moms for Liberty. Tiffany, so great to have you here today. So great to be with you, Andrew. Thank you for hosting us in your city of New York. We had such a great time. <laughs> we'll we'll get to that in a little bit and exactly how, how that turned out. And by the way, the discussion was fantastic in there, I'll say. But let me just kind of start and ask, what was the motivation to start Moms for Liberty? Why did you start Moms for Liberty? I'm a mom. I have four kids, 18, 16, 14, and 12. And in 2016, I decided to run for school board in my own local community. And uh, like most people, I hadn't really been that involved in, in our government process, right, in the civic process. I, I really, honestly, I voted, um, but I wasn't very political. In fact, I didn't have any party affiliation until 2016. Um, I was a really an issues-based voter, voted Republican the majority of my life, but issues-based. Um, and uh, in 2016, my whole world changed. I ran for school board because my own children's school was uh, falling apart. And uh, I went to the district and I, I went to the, excuse me, the principal, and I said, I, you know, can we advocate? for this school. And she said, oh, the district really doesn't like uh, when we ask too many questions. And I said, well, I don't care what the district likes. And so um, I started asking questions and then I just never stopped. I ran for school board and I continued to ask, why do we do things the way that we do them? Do we like the outcomes that we have? And if we don't, why do we continue to do things in the same way, right? Uh, the system does not like disruption, as we all know. And so, um, you know, I was I, I was shaking things up on that school board. While I was doing that, Tina Deskovich, the other co-founder of Moms for Liberty, was doing the same thing, one county up from me. We didn't know each other. We weren't friends. Uh, but uh, when COVID happened, all of America got to see behind the education curtain and uh, parents realized how broken our education system is and how their children were being left behind. And we realized that parents needed to be effective advocates, that they couldn't just go in and yell at a school board or expect, you know, someone said to Tina once, I'm going to report you guys to the county commission. And she thought to herself, well, that's not how this works at all, right? We're not we're not beholden to the county commission. And so we wanted parents, if they were putting their effort and their time into advocating for their children to be effective. And we felt like we had been prepared uh, during our time on school board to help parents to have their voices heard. Well, you mentioned COVID. And, and I think right now there is so much momentum behind the pro, pro the pro parent movement, basically, of restoring parents to the nucleus 
of guiding children, educating children throughout not just their formative years, but throughout their entire life, right? This is something that starts as they're young, but continues throughout their entire life. Uh, to that point, I guess, what is the mission of Moms for Liberty and how has COVID uh, really affected uh, the mission, if you will? So we're fighting for the survival of America by unifying, educating, and empowering parents to defend their parental rights at all levels of government. And that's the mission statement that Tina and I wrote in December of 2020, and it's the mission statement uh, still today. And what we've realized is this, Andrew, when you can unite people and you can educate them on the issues so they're informed advocates, they are completely empowered to be able to make change happen. And so it's just that cycle of unifying people, educating them on the issues, and then empowering them to make change happen that Moms for Liberty continues to do on every issue we engage on. You know, you mentioned there uh, kind of independent of political party in terms of how parents, whether or not they might have voted red, voted blue, so many want to make sure that they have a say over their children's education, and rightfully so. I tell you the exact same thing that I saw when running for governor. Um, I saw parents of all different stripes, whether they had been political, whether they had not been political, had been Republican, had been Democrat unite over some of these parental rights issues. And to me, it was one of the most eye-opening things on the entire campaign trail. Um, we mentioned Manhattan, though, and obviously that's where we met. I know that you said you were actually born uh, in New York State. Um, what? I'm a New York. I'm a New York girl. My dad was born in Brooklyn. My mom on Long Island. Um, all of my family is in New York. So, you know, the real, uh, real place in my heart for New York. Well, we share fathers that were born in the in the borough of Brooklyn then. Uh, so I got to ask then, what do we do in blue states like a New York, like a California, like in Illinois, where it seems like you have a state assembly against you in New York City, a city council uh, against parental choice uh, and vouchers and, and school choice and, and all kinds of options? What do you do in these states? What's the strategy? So I think the first thing that we need to recognize is that these issues that we're working on are not partisan issues. The issues of parents wanting to unfold the full potential of their children in their lives is not a partisan issue. Um, and, and teaching kids to read, not a partisan issue. Having schools open, not a partisan issue. Uh, not allowing our schools to be uh, co-opted by the government and used for shelters for illegal immigrants, not a partisan issue. Um, and so, you know, I, I think that that's the first thing we need to recognize, that the majority of the issues that Americans are concerned about today, border security, Security, economy, inflation, our children, the future of our country are not partisan issues. But politicians sometimes like to keep us divided on these issues. Moms for Liberty is trying to bring people together. I think that's why we get so much pushback, to be honest with you. But you are right about making change happen. You know, we have a bit of a situation, the great sort, I guess, is what they might like to call it, right? Blue state, red state, people moving from different states. And, and so the strategy that you have to employ in order to make change happen in a blue state is different than in a red state. And I can give you some examples of that. Um, in Florida, we have a wonderful governor, Governor Ron DeSantis. He's made incredible change happen. We also have control of our legislature. And so we're able to propose bills, go through the amendment process and have our governor sign bills into law. Uh, when it comes to the issue of gender ideology and gender dysphoria and a standard of care, we were able to work through our board of medicine. And we were very lucky to be able to have the governor able to appoint people and have different people on our board of medicine to, to change the standard of care when it came to gender dysphoria, to a watch and wait approach. Not every blue state, not every state can do that, even red states, but certainly not blue states. And so when you look at blue state strategy, you have to think 
a little differently, right? You're going to have a veto. You're going to have a governor who may veto a bill that the legislature passes. That's a problem. You may have a legislature that's not even willing to take up those bills. That's a problem. And so how do you make change happen? Right now in California, we're working on a ballot initiative. It's called protectkidsca.org. You can go to that website and check it out. And it's to stop uh, the medical transition of, of uh, young, of minors, um, medical sexual transition, uh, something that's completely impossible, but apparently they're trying. Uh, we can talk about that if you'd like. Um, but we need to give voice to the people. Right. And so in blue states as well, the other thing that you can do is really from the ground up. You may not have control of your legislature, of your house or your Senate in your state, but you can pass resolutions on your school board or on your city council. And so what we're trying to do is ensure that we take a bottom up, top down approach every time that we're looking at cha making change happen in a state and, and being smart about the way that we engage people. The thing is this, Andrew, the polling is with us. The people are with us on these issues. And I think that's what we have to remember. You know, you might have a Gavin Newsom or a Kathy Hochul who are ignoring the voices of the people, but that's only going to last so long. And uh, the more we empower citizens to have their voices heard and make change happen, the better our country will be. Well, you mentioned the bill in California here, and I got to tell you, it seems like New York's on a pretty similar track to California because there's an assembly bill. It's uh, A6761, and basically it supports drug uh, supports drugs and surgeries for minors and really eliminates the parent's right to even know about this, the knowledge before the state can actually go uh, and say that a child can go and inject these hormone blockers, uh, these things that, by the way, will be a complete, uh, will prevent a child once they end up growing up from being able to conceive potentially. Um, to me, but you just brought up it's so important, Andrew. That is such an important point, because here you have a bill that's proposing something and the majority of parents don't realize yeah. that puberty blockers aren't reversible. Yeah. You have medical associations, right? You have the Academy, uh, American Academy of Pediatrics um, saying that puberty blockers are harmless or, or, or reversible in some way. Nothing could be further from the truth. They absolutely are not reversible. In fact, if you put a young boy on a puberty blockers between the ages of nine and 11, they, there's evidence to show they'll never have an orgasm in their entire life. And so, you know, that's that's where we are right now. There's a disconnect between these bills that are being proposed and the truth of what's actually happening to our children. But if we can inform parents to give them accurate information to make the best decision for their child, those bills have no chance of passing because we will have our voices heard. Um, but there needs to be honesty around these issues. And unfortunately, there hasn't been right now. But we're going to change that. Yeah. Well, to that proof right there, I mean, look, uh, I'm certainly not a science major here, but if uh, a boy cannot have an orgasm, that means that they cannot reproduce. So you're telling me that at an age uh, when they might be 8, 10, 12 years old, when a child obviously is a long way away from being able to drink, to serve their country, to go and vote, um, certainly not to rent a car, which, by the way, you don't let kids do until they're 25 years old. Now, all of a sudden, they're making decisions uh, that may affect their ability to reproduce uh, or have children. Yeah, kids can't consent to puberty blockers. I mean, you think about it. When you were 12, when I was 15, heck, when I was 18, did I think that I wanted to be a mom of four? No, I had no idea, right? But the idea, you know, I've sat and I've listened to some of these detransitioners, Andrew. Chloe Cole, uh, a young woman that I've gotten to know quite well. And she was sitting on a stage and she was talking about how she had had her a double mastectomy at the age of 15. Doctors took off her healthy breasts 
at the age of 15. Um, this is serious surgery, a mastectomy. Women who have breast cancer who have gone through that surgery will tell you it's painful. It's very difficult. In fact, Chloe has not healed completely from that. But the realization that she doesn't know if she'll be able to have children, but she knows she'll never be able to breastfeed. Breastfeeding was a wonderful part of being a mother. It was amazing. I loved being pregnant and then being able to feed my baby from my body to give them what they needed was important. And, and, and I, it was something that I never, you know, when you're 15, you don't think about that stuff. Right. And the idea that we're giving kids the power to make these decisions, you know, someone said, well, you have to trust the kids. Well, I've got four kids. I've got kids who don't remember to brush their teeth sometimes, right? 12 years old might like to eat Oreos all day long. I don't let them do that stuff, right? And so this is, we are at a real crossroads on this issue, but we are making a lot of progress. And I promise you that in a few years, we will look back at this time in horror and we will be so thankful that we have been able to move our country past it. Yeah. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com system. I want to get a little bit to the event in Manhattan that we had where, uh, you know, you're so kind to invite me. And, and I really thought, first off, the discussion inside was absolutely incredible. And I thought the thought leaders that you guys had had, along with many of the other Moms for Liberty uh, members who had both been served on the panel, who were there, um, I really thought much need, uh, brought much needed discussion about school choice and about options that parents had in a place where, frankly, you get a lot of parents that never at least really hear about it or maybe hear about it nationally, but it never actually comes on the ground there. But there was a lot of pushback, both for attendees going in and coming out, uh, being called all kinds of names. Uh, Nazi was being thrown around. I, I got to tell you, just before I even ask a question, uh, I thought it was pretty ironic because Moms for Liberty seems to be giving more choice to parents and taking away, I don't want to say taking away, but allowing for more freedoms of choice for ideas for parents. I always thought that fascists actually took away those choices from people. So I thought it was pretty ironic that you had people yelling at you coming in saying that you're a fascist when you were basically just saying, hey, look, we want to make sure the parents have the knowledge. We want to make sure the parents have the options and the choices to be able to get the, 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 the kids the education that they need. Yeah, we had a really great panel, uh, two panels, actually, with parents, with Community Education Council members for District 2, uh, right there in Manhattan. Uh, it was really sad to me. Mark Levine, who's the Manhattan Borough President, stood outside in, I don't know what the temperature was, 25 degree weather outside, uh, yelling at a building. And we were inside having productive conversations. And so, um, I, you know, before I went in, I was speaking to one of the protesters and I, I said, um, you know, do you know that only a quarter of kids in Manhattan are reading on grade level. And do you know, we'll talk in a second about how much money is being spent. And she said, I know all about Moms for Liberty and they are awful people. And I'm here I am, the co-founder of the organization, right? Tina and I, the face of the organization. She had no idea who I was. I was like, lady, you have you don't know who Moms for Liberty is for a second. And that's the way it always is. The media has really fueled and, and kind of run the line for, for the Biden administration against Moms for Liberty. I, I don't know if you saw, but we 
we've been working with the Heritage Foundation to do uh, some public records requests. We were put uh, by the SBLC on uh, a hate group list, and we wanted to know how is the Biden administration working with uh, the SPLC and other organizations? And, and what we found was they're working with them quite a bit. And so we know that this is an orchestrated effort to kind of make us untouchable. Um, I'm just going to do this to a lot of the stuff that people say about us. Uh, we don't have time for it because only 11% of Black kids in Manhattan are reading on grade level. And you know what we talked about on that panel was the fact that the average uh, per, per pupil spending in New York City is $40,000 per student. Yeah. Think about that for a second, parents. If you're listening to this, what could you do with $40,000 uh, for your child? What what school could you put them in? What tutor could you get them? What type of homeschooling could you do if you had that type of money? So $40,000, the average class size in Manhattan is 25. That's a million dollars, Andrew. That's a million dollars being spent in every public school classroom in New York City, and the outcomes are awful. And I'm a business person. My dad was a car dealer. Um, you know, the it's all about the bottom line. And, and if you don't like the results you're getting, why do you continue to keep doing the things that you're doing, right? And, and you need to change your approach. And uh, no business person would ever be okay with the outcomes we had have out of education. I'm not saying that education is a business. It certainly isn't. I've served on the school board. But there are certain business practices and best practices that we should be applying to uh, the way that we do work in the education world that we're not applying right now. And again, we should be. And so um, that's why we really encourage people to run for school board. I want lots of different people on school board. I want accountants. I want lawyers. I want doctors. I want retail people. I want I want everybody. I want uh, the, I want every person who thinks that they can have a have their voice heard and can bring interesting and innovative ideas to that school board to serve. Um, and the truth of the matter is, can they do do any worse than who's serving now, these so-called education experts, right? The teachers unions are, um, the teachers unions run the Democratic Party. Mm -hmm. um, I'm not going to lie. Uh, the National Education Association uh, and the AFT, AFL-CIO, uh, they are uh, the foot soldiers of the Democratic Party. The Biden administration relies on them for money and for votes. Mm -hmm. And uh, they've got quite the cozy little relationship that is really leaving American kids in the dust. Yeah, this is a pretty simple thing to follow to your point right here. I mean, basically, you have Democratic politicians in the budget that pays off the school, the the, uh, the this teachers union. And then they expect in November, the teachers union to come out and mobilize to vote. So it's a pretty one simple thing to follow. You, you mentioned $40,000 per student in New York. I'm going to give you some numbers and just react to these and see ultimately if we're getting the bang for our buck. Uh, for African-American students in the state of New York. And by the way, these numbers come from the Democratic controller of the state of New York. So these aren't partisan numbers. These are coming from the Democratic controller who ran on the same ticket as Kathy Hochul, Tom DiNapoli. For black students, 14% uh, mathematics uh, grade level at fourth grade can do math at, four, at, uh, at grade level, 14%. For Hispanic children, 15% are at grade level for fourth grade ma mathematics. For white students, only two in five, 39%. And for Asian American and Pacific Islanders, barely half, 55% for an overall total uh, in the 20s. About 27% of fourth graders are actually doing math in the state of New York at that level. And we're spending $40,000 per student. Your thoughts? Who's, who's going to design the bridges? 
Who's going to, I mean, who, who, how are we going to continue as a country? You want to drive over the bridge that in 20 years that, that kids who can't do math are responsible for, for repairing and, and designing? No. Who, who, where are you going to go to the doctor? How are you going to go to the doctor? I mean, how is America going to survive with this, with these levels of literacy and kids not being able to do math? There is no future for America in this. And, and we need to stop right now and ask ourselves why. We don't have a funding problem in American education. We have a priorities problem in American public education. American education has become a jobs program. And uh, it, it's all about what the adults want and not about what the kids need. And so it's really time for moms and dads and concerned Americans to get involved and to reclaim and reform our public education system. I love school choice. We brought Corey DeAngelis out uh, with us in New York because you're right. You've got a cap on charter schools in New York City. I mean, 23 of the top 25 schools in New York City are charter schools. Why do you have a cap? Hey, Mayor, Mayor Eric Adams, why do you have a cap on charter schools? That's what New York City parents want to know. They don't understand. You've got schools that are demonstrating that they can reach these students and help them to achieve. And you are not, you are limiting the potential of adults to help kids. And so Corey came out and talked more about creating more choice in New York City. And parents have the fundamental right to direct the upbringing of their children, including their education. And so our elected officials should be doing everything they can to involve parents in their children's lives, in their children's education. Uh, parents are the number one driver of student success. So anytime you see anyone pushing parents out, what you need to know is they don't really want to see kids succeed. Sad. You know, I want to get back to, or I want to get to what some in the leftist media like to call book bans. Um, nice. I, I find it to be shocking because, you know, I always remember when I would go to a movie theater when I was a child, uh, that there were always ratings and some of those ratings were G and some were PG 13, some were rated R, uh, age appropriate though. But, you know, I never thought that it would be okay for an eight or a nine year old to go into an NC 17 movie. And I thought that's kind of what those ratings were there for. Uh, why do you think there's such a pushback? about your push to make sure that public school libraries, that libraries in school schools are not carrying highly charged sexualized materials uh, for seven, eight, nine-year-olds? When I saw uh, Joe Biden's campaign, his first campaign video that came out, um, he, he says, we're going to you know, go after the book banners. Uh, book banning has become a political bludgeon. Uh, and uh, it's being used to try to make, you know, Republicans, MAGA Republicans, concerned parents look like we're somehow uh, crazy, overreacting uh, morons, basically, um, to, to, to put it mildly, to be honest. Um, they want to make us look like bigots, um, and nothing could be further from the truth. We have gay members at Moms for Liberty. We have members who have uh, gay kids. I, I don't, this isn't about sexual orientation, just to be clear when we talk about these books. This is about very explicit sexual content. I was on Joy Reid uh, the night after the town hall, and I asked her, you know, under what in what context is some of this material acceptable for a public school? And she really was not able to answer that question. Mm. Um, so I think it's just a political tool. You're absolutely right. Uh, children can't just go search for anything they want on the internet at school. There are all kinds of filters that stop them from looking at content. Uh, and uh, you know, books uh, really shouldn't be any different. What we just what we discovered though, Andrew, is this. There wasn't a vetting process for the books. There was nobody really paying attention. 
How was the money being spent? What books were actually being selected? Are the books, you know, connected to the curriculum? Are they enriching the education of the child? No one was really paying attention to any of that. And you had big business publishers and, and other people giving uh, books awards. And then those books, well, what books are you going to put in the library? Well, of course, you're going to put the award-winning books. Well, who's giving the award? Well, I mean, maybe it's NAMBLA. I don't know. Who's giving the <laughs> award, right? The like, Southern you, Poverty Law Center is giving them awards. Right? That's great. That's you're wonderful. You're going to give them ideas now. Don't give them any ideas. Yes. <laughs> um, <laughs> they have a whole new book uh book award section but um yeah so you know the the truth of the matter is there wasn't a vetting process and this leads us to the bigger issue the fact that there isn't a lot of oversight in what's happening in, in your kids education a lot of times and so my message to parents is get involved you know there are a lot of different committees that you can serve on that currently exist within your school district and you may not know about them so you can go to your school district and just ask how can i get involved and have my voice heard one of the most important ways that you can have your voice heard is in uh, textbook adoption uh, and curriculum you can go in and look at the textbooks and read how the information is being presented and give your feedback and yeah it takes time you know but if you're someone who has a history background or a science background. And, and, you know, maybe you don't even have kids, but you just want to make sure that information is being taught accurately to children. Um, I think it's really important that you get involved and get your voice heard. But yeah, I mean, what we just saw is that there's there, there's a real lack of process and procedure in American public education. Yeah. You know, I was going to say, I don't normally consume uh, Joy Reid show, but I did watch the day after uh, you came to Manhattan because I was looking forward to that. And when you asked her, uh, when is it appropriate for a, a strap on dildo to be taught uh, in lower school? Uh, I was wondering if you'd ever gotten an answer back on that one because she could not answer that question. And, and uh, there's no appropriate answer to that question, frankly. There isn't. But, you know, I'll be I'll say this. I was thankful she had me on. You yeah. know, we need have we need to have more conversations about what's happening you know when i brought up the fact that so many children in new york city aren't reading on grade level and nobody's really talking about that she said that's a really good point right she said several times that's a good point that's a good point and so here's what i'm hopeful for i'm hopeful that we are going to have more conversations that's why we do these town halls andrew it's why i go into the cities and we do the town halls and we bring people together and we try to talk about things you know i invited as i said mark levine to come up and to be a part of of uh, that the panel. I invited everyone on the street. It was open to the public. People could have come in. We don't charge anything for the town halls. You know, we put that on through the money that's donated to Moms for Liberty. Um, but we want to start having more conversations about difficult things. Um, I, I was told recently, you're going to find this funny. Uh, I am I'm speaking next Monday at the Orlando Public Library. And uh, I was told that uh, Mayor uh, Bill de Blasio may be on the panel. Uh, <laughs> Uh, talking wow. about things. Yeah. So, but I welcome it. Let's have conversation. I'm not scared to talk about these things. You know, I've got I, 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 my children's future, our children's future depends on adults coming together and finding solutions to the biggest issues that are facing America today. And, uh, you know, I say, put me in coach. I'm ready for ready for the fight. Well, the only thing I'd recommend with the panel is if it's supposed to start at noon, make sure it doesn't actually start till one because he's always late, especially if it's in the morning right there. I, I don't, have to, don't even react to that if you don't want to. I don't want to get you in, in any trouble. I, you're fine. I'm sure he's lovely. I'm glad he's coming. Well, one of the things that he was a supporter of was uh, Drag Queen Story Hour. I think it started under his watch. What are your thoughts and Moms for Liberty's thoughts on the motivations of Drag Queen Story Hour? Drag Queen Story Hour is an initiation point into queer theory. 
Uh, it says so in a white paper written by a drag queen and, and someone else. The drag queen's name is Lil Miss Hotness. In the white paper, they say that they want to leave glitter in the carpet. If uh, you're a mom and you've ever had glitter, well, you're you know dad too, and you know you've had Halloween and there's been glitter around, it's really hard to get glitter out. And that's the point. Um, they want to uh, give children an alternate, they, they talk about giving children an alternate way of knowing uh, about things. And so queer theory is not, uh, it's the cue in the LGBTQ, but it has nothing to do with the LGP, LGB. Uh, it has a little bit to do with the T, to be honest with you. Uh, but the Q part, it's a political ideology. Uh, it's all about destruction and disruption. Um, there is no limiting principle to queer theory. Uh, that's how you get men dressed as uh, very uh, provocative and caric a caricature of women sitting on the carpet of a kindergarten classroom. And to be clear, Nobody had a problem with drag queens before they went into the kindergarten classroom at the library. Nobody cared. I've been to drag shows, super fun. Uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm not a prude. Um, nobody had a problem until you have a man uh, with giant prosthetic breasts sitting on the carpet uh, reading uh, uh, swish, swish, swish goes the drag queen skirt to five-year-olds. And, and that's, I think, a great point that you make here. And one thing that I say all the time, I said, look, if somebody is of age, and if they want to, you know, chop off here or add there or do that, then guess what? The government shouldn't be involved in that decision. That's their personal choice. The same thing, which is what you're saying, which specifically when it comes to some of the books that you're talking about, they're still all available at the public libraries. They can still purchase them on Amazon or anywhere they want. It's not like you're saying that you don't want those books available at all to the public. It's that they shouldn't be at libraries. I think that's a very important distinctive point. Yeah. Write the book, print the book, publish the book, sell the book, put the book in the public library. Uh, but uh, we're talking about a public school library here. And uh, again, adults, you can't just show any movie that you want in a public school. We have always known that there are things that are appropriate for adults and there are certain things that are appropriate for kids. I've been married to my husband for almost 20 years. There are a lot of things I do uh, with my child that I don't do in front of my kids. So, uh, you know, I, I I think that um, I just think this is this is the most common sense conversation uh, that Americans could be having together. Uh, you know, I think over 90 percent of Americans are with us on this issue and we just need to talk about it more and give people the courage to have their voice heard. How important are school choice and vouchers uh, for the educational future of our country? They're important because parents have the fundamental right to direct the education of their child. You know, I mean, if you want to go to your public school and your public school is doing great and it's right around the corner from your house, then you're going to send your kid to public school. Why do parents not want to send their kids to public school? Well, because the public schools are failing and they can't trust the school. We have schools that are having private conversations behind closed doors with 11 year olds about, well, what? name would you like us to use with your parents when we talk to them? What name would you like to use at school? What pronouns would you like to use? What bathroom would you like to use? When you go on overnight field trips, would you like to sleep with the boys or the girls? I mean, wild, wild stuff. You've got a five-year-old in a classroom in, in Maryland, in Montgomery County, Maryland. There are two different lawsuits right now because parents are not being allowed to opt their children out of gender ideology instruction, which can happen now at any time of the day. Wow. And uh, parents can't remove their kids. And wow. so you have a book called My Maddie, which is about uh, a, a man who wants to be a mommy. And in one of the pages, it says something about like when my Maddie kisses me goodbye in the morning, her face is scratchy. I mean, I, you know, this is a 
five-year-old, they believe in Santa and the tooth fairy. If you tell them that they could be born in the wrong body, they might believe you. And then when you think about how destabilizing that is to the child, that, that, that you know, you have a little girl or a little boy and that a teacher is saying to them, well, you, you may have been assigned at birth a boy, but you could be a boy or a girl or a tree or a not a boy or a girl, non-binary. What crazy, ridiculous nonsense. And so gender ideology has no place in public schools. I have no issues saying that very directly. And Moms for Liberty is going to do everything we can to get it out. Well, that's great. I mean, look, school choice is so important when it comes to giving parents the options that they need. And I always looked at it this way, right? I was very blessed where I had parents that had the means to go and send me to Catholic school because they realized it was the best education, best classical education that I could get. But it's the students who don't have parents who don't have the means to be able to do that, where school choice and vouchers really ends up helping out. And many times that ends up being in the minority or impoverished communities here in the country. And that's why I think the message of Moms for Liberty and bringing into some of these areas that, you know, you may get some pushback and you have gotten pushback for. That's why it's so important to push that message into those areas. Yeah. And in, I mean, I'm just going to say, Andrew, if people want to donate, I want to go to Chicago. I want to go to L.A. I want to go to these cities where we can do town halls and bring people together and have these conversations. In Chicago, people are outraged. Their recreation centers, their schools are being co-opted. They're putting illegal immigrants everywhere. Kids services are on the back burner. Randall Field in New York. I mean, I had moms saying to me, you know, my kids used to play soccer there. They can't play soccer there anymore. And yeah. somebody on the tweet thread said something like, well, you know, a human's having a place to live is more important than your kid playing soccer. Well, you know what? I know when recreation centers and, and those types of things are closed for kids, they get into trouble. They start using drugs. There's an increase in teenage pregnancy. Um, there's more delinquency. There's more crime. Um, you know, I, I, I may bring that up to, to uh, Bill de Blasio because I know there was a huge increase in crime uh, with kids in New York City when a lot of those recreational facilities are closed and kids need outlets. and. What's happening right now in America with American kids being put on the back burner, we saw it during COVID. I'm done. We're done. Never again will we allow children to shoulder, burden, shoulder, shoulder the burden of adult fear. When have we ever expected kids to protect adults in that manner, right? Why are we taking away opportunities from children where we should be unfolding their full potential? So, you know, school choice, all of these things are incredibly important because parents, again, have the fundamental right to direct the upbringing of their kids. and. Every parent, I believe, wants what's best for their child. And that's the thing here. This is why Moms for Liberty is so attacked all the time, because we are a threat, because we are bringing people together across party lines, across racial lines, across religious lines. Parents are parents, and we love our kids, and we want to see them have everything in life to meet their full potential, and we want that together as parents. And so whenever you see people being nasty about Moms for Liberty or calling us names, it's because we can't be controlled and we're bringing people together. And that means that some people are, that are trying to control us are going to lose power. And it's about time that happened. Yeah. Well, look, it, not that you need this, but if you need any preparation for Bill de Blasio, I'm happy to go through all of the COVID measures that he ended up introducing to the schools, which ended up leading to record learning loss, not just in the U.S., but specifically in New York City. I mean, I just remember last year, uh, right at the very end of his administration, actually seeing kids still outside uh, wearing masks while they were running around. And the science told you that this that there was no way this actually do that. So 
that's an offer. Yeah, no, I appreciate that. I'll be honest. I mean, one of the things I am going to mention to him, I think one of the worst things that he did was that vaccine requirement for kids to be able to do extracurricular activities. I mean, you know, you, you you didn't have to have a vaccine to be able to go to school, but if you wanted to play sports, you had to take a vaccine. My goodness, yeah. here we are limiting the ability of kids to get involved in sports. Sports are so incredibly important. I mean, team building and bringing kids together again, like what an awful decision that was. And so, um, you know, we're just at an interesting time in this country. And I'm thankful for people like you that are standing up and speaking out. Thank you for running for governor. We really appreciate it. I mean, moms and dads, if not you, who? That's the question that every American needs to ask yourself. If not you, who? And during COVID, we saw an expert class that completely failed us. All these people, I call them the VSP, the very smart people. And, uh, you know, and, and we were all supposed to, we were all supposed to just listen to them because they knew better than us. You know, forget that. I trust Americans. I believe in Americans. And uh, we're going to fight like hell for this country. Okay. Well, just about a minute left or so. How can people help out Moms for Liberty and how can they get involved, Tiffany? Yeah. So go to momsforliberty.org. There's a big map on that website. You can click on your state, uh, see if we have a chapter in your county. We're set up by county. If you don't have a chapter in your county, click to start one. Maybe it's not you that starts the chapter. Maybe it's your sister or your daughter or your son or or someone that you know, but click to start the chapter and start that process. You have to bring 10 like-minded people together to start a chapter. Um, Donate. We need donations. We are a 501c4 primarily. We have a C3. We also have a PAC, uh, Moms for Liberty Action PAC, where we're working to get out the vote in in lots of different places around the country. Um, But donate to us because we are doing amazing work and all of our moms are volunteers on the ground and we do our best to support them every single day. And I want want to come to a city near you. If you're watching this and you want to have a town hall in your city and you feel like there are issues that need to be addressed head on, then Moms for Liberty is the group to do it. Well, great job, Tiffany, just doing what you're doing. I really thank you so much. And one more piece of advice with regards to Bill de Blasio, just make sure you have a snack because you might get hungry just smelling him. That's all I'm saying. Sometimes there's a little bit of a contact tie around the former mayor, Bill de Blasio. So that's all. No need to respond. But thank you very much for your time, Tiffany. You really are uh, an American treasure and you're fighting a fight that's so important for the future of our country. So thank you. Thanks, Andrew. Of course. Well, We'll see you next week here on the Andrew Giuliani Show. That was the amazing Tiffany Justice. And what a job Moms for Liberty is doing. Again, go to momsforliberty.org. Check it out. Support them. See if you can get involved in your town or neighborhood. Start a chapter. If there is a chapter, get involved. It's well worth it. We'll see you next week.